of our catechism, we read together this afternoon from Lord's Day 31. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it's proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it's proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are, forbidden, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. of our Lord Jesus Christ. In ancient city-states, citizens had a unique way of keeping themselves safe from the attack of foreigners. For security purposes, they built walls around their cities. They had massive gates that could be barred shut to protect them from the attack of the enemy. If we read from Scripture about the city of Jerusalem, we see that fortified walls surrounded it. The enemies of God's people had a difficult time capturing this city. Within it, God's people were safe from the assault of their enemies. Yet the defense of a city like Jerusalem depended on one thing, on faithful watchmen. Enemies who wanted to capture a city like Jerusalem knew that basically they had three choices. They could storm the city and try to overrun it, but that would be a costly affair. They'd be out in the open attacking the city, the defenders would be behind walls. Militarily, you would lose at least three times the number of soldiers your enemies did in such kind of an assault. Alternately, they could put a siege around the city and try to starve its inhabitants. But that was a lengthy process. It could take over a year. The best way to capture such a city was by stealth, by sneaking up on the city and getting into it before the people even realized you were there. The defenders of cities knew they were vulnerable to surprise attacks, and that's why they appointed watchmen. Their task was to keep their eyes and ears open, to look for and listen for the approach of enemies. Watchmen were given trumpets to sound the alarm. Their task was to keep 
alert to warn the people of the approach of the enemy. That way the gates could be closed and barred and men could be called to defend the city. That's watchmen had a critical role to play in defending the people from attack. Today, beloved, we are privileged to be part of the kingdom of God. Spiritually, Christ rules over us by his word and spirit. And yet we're also vulnerable to the attacks of our deadly enemies, the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. As our eternal king, Christ is concerned about us. Having redeemed us by his blood, he seeks to preserve us in the redemption that he has obtained for us. And so Christ has entrusted the keys of the kingdom to watchmen. Today we call them elders. Like the watchmen of old, their task is to watch over the city of God, to warn us of our mortal enemies so we're ready to defend ourselves against their attacks. The keys Christ has entrusted to his church are the preaching of the gospel and the exercise of church discipline. Both involve the proclamation of the gospel, in the one case publicly, in the other privately. But their goal is the same. It is the salvation of sinners. As we read in Ezekiel 33 verse 11, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he turn from his evil way and live. As Matthew 18, 14 says it, So it is not the will of my Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Using the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Christ seeks the salvation of his people. We'll see that through the preaching of the gospel, Christ proclaims his grace. Through the discipline of the church, Christ calls us to repentance. And through meditation on the word, Christ leads us to salvation. In Lord's Day 31, we talk about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We all know that a key is a tool. It unlocks or it locks a door. By means of keys, a door is open to us or close to us. Keys are used to give access or bar access to whatever lies behind the door. In ancient days, locks were put on treasure chests. Only the person with the key had access to the treasure. Today, we use safety deposit boxes in much the same way. You need the key to the box to get access to the valuables in it. Now, we need to remember that in our Lord's Day, we're not talking about a physical treasure. We are speaking about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom is the realm over which a king reigns. Here we're talking about a heavenly kingdom, about Christ's reign over us. Christ came into this world as a servant to suffer and die for our sins. He arose as victorious king, having won the victory over sin, death, and Satan. He now reigns as king over the kingdom of God. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Revelation 1.18, Christ says, I have the keys of death and Hades. In Revelation 3.7, Christ makes it clear that he is the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, 
and who shuts and no one will open. The point is that the point Christ is making is that he has been given authority from God to open the kingdom of heaven to all who believe and to shut it to those who do not. Christ has given this power to his church. In Matthew 16, verse 19, he said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. From John 20, we see that this authority has been given to all of Jesus' disciples. After giving them the Holy Spirit, he said to them, If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And so we see that the keys of the kingdom are to be administered by the church. The first key that our catechism speaks about is the preaching of the gospel. At times we call this the proclamation of the word. Our Lord Jesus Christ has sent out his heralds, his ambassadors, his messengers. Their task is to sound forth the trumpet to proclaim the ministry of reconciliation, to issue Christ's call to salvation. Locally, Christ calls ministers to preach the good news of salvation. And through his church, Christ also sends out missionaries to make known his grace to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He speaks about how God has granted him and his fellow workers the ministry of reconciliation. Paul explains what it is. He says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. To reconcile means to break down a wall of separation, to make two parties that were one, that were apart, one. And God has done that through Christ by sending his Son to suffer and die for our sins. Paul says in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Dear beloved, we see how the key of the preaching of the gospel works. The kingdom of heaven is opened when the good news of salvation is proclaimed and publicly testified to all believers. Through the preaching, we're told of how Christ has died for the forgiveness of all our sins. Through the word of God, we're called to believe the promise of the gospel, to accept it as truth. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, we're welcomed into God's kingdom. We're allowed to share in Christ and all his benefits. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, he spent much of his time preaching and teaching. He instructed the people concerning the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to show them the way of life. Jesus called the people saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way to joy, to peace, to life is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why Christ commanded his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Today, the task of preachers, whether ministers or missionaries, has not changed. 
They have the task to make known the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 52, Every teacher who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The preacher's task is to open God's word, to delve into its riches, to point out the great salvation Christ has worked for us. Our reading from Ezekiel 33 makes it clear. Preachers are to be watchmen on the walls of Zion. Part of their task is to sound the trumpet, to issue public warnings. Just as watchmen of the city had to be alert to the approach of enemies, so today we also need to be warned about the attacks of the devil of this world and our own sinful flesh. The preaching of the gospel not only opens the kingdom of heaven to believers, it also closes the kingdom to unbelievers and hypocrites. One of the reasons why the crowds followed the Lord Jesus and were eager to hear his preaching is because he spoke with authority. Even the Jewish leaders who were opposed to Christ's teaching admitted he was a man of integrity. Our Lord had no regard for the position of man. He taught the word of God in truth. And today preachers need to do the same. They need to speak the word of God boldly, irrespective of whose toes might get stepped on. That's why the apostles so often prayed for boldness in proclaiming the word, especially in times of opposition and strife. Ezekiel 33 makes it clear God holds his watchmen accountable. If they fail to sound forth a warning, the blood of those who perish is on their heads. The author of the letter to the Hebrews makes the same point regarding office bearers today. He says they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Thus we see that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts two ways, to salvation and to damnation. God's word makes it clear there's two ways that we can respond to the gospel. We can believe it, or we can push it aside and do our best to ignore it. You can find your life in Jesus Christ, or you can seek satisfaction in the things this life has to offer. There's two pathways we can follow in life. There is the broad road leading to destruction, and there's a narrow pathway leading to life. You can live life God's way and share in His blessings choose your own way and you'll face his condemnation and so beloved the call of the gospel comes to us again this afternoon dear brother dear sister on what pathway are you headed where is your life going are you walking with God submitting to his word and will enjoying his presence in your life trying to live life your own way and finding that your life is pretty empty and meaningless. Beloved, do you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling your name? Are you listening to his voice? Do you hear his promises and respond to them in faith? Remember the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ came to redeem us from sin and death. 
He came to deliver us from the dominion of darkness, to bring us into his glorious light. Christ came to make us share in all his benefits, in the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Such are the blessings of all those who believe in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In our first point, we've seen that through the preaching of the gospel, Christ proclaims his grace. In our second point, we'll see that through the discipline of the church, Christ calls us to repentance. In essence, there is no substantial difference between the preaching of the gospel and the exercise of church discipline. In both cases, the word of God is applied to the lives of the members of Christ's church. God's word is the standard, the norm. Through that word, Christ speaks to us about his love and grace and calls us to live for him. What is different between the preaching of the word and the exercise of discipline is the manner in which it is applied. The word is publicly proclaimed to the whole congregation. In contrast, discipline is applied privately to the specific life of one of the members. As such, the bearer of the word can tailor the message specifically to suit the life of the member who is straying. The goal is to call a straying member to repentance, that he or she may share in the life that only Christ Jesus can give. Now, when we hear, hear that word discipline, a negative images often form in our minds. We think of children getting punished or of someone getting told off. But that word discipline comes from a root that means to instruct or teach. We see this from the related word, to disciple. Before he ascended into heaven, Christ commanded the apostles to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded them. Discipline is not a negative process. Its goal is to lead erring church member to the Savior Jesus Christ, to the life there is in him. We read together this afternoon, from a part of Matthew 18. Jesus, it's remarkable to note the love of the good shepherd for his sheep. In this passage, Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. He tells of a man who had a hundred sheep and of one that went astray. What did the man do? Well, he left the 99 to go and find the one. Beloved, why was it that the 99 got left? Why did the shepherd pursue that one sheep? Well, the answer is simple. It's because of Christ's love. It's because of our Savior's faithfulness. Christ cares about each one of his sheep, about you and about me. Also about each of those who are straying from the flock. And that's why he goes searching that's why he rejoices so much when the lost sheep is found. It's his love of our Savior that motivates us to exercise church discipline. Discipline is an act of love. By nature, we tend to shy away from admonishing someone who sins, from looking for the lost sheep who has wandered from the flock. We come up with excuses about how we hardly knew the brother or sister who strays about, or about how we're not really all that suited for this task. 
But beloved, the real question is, do we love our brother or sister as Christ first loved us? Love breaks down barriers. It climbs over obstacles. Love seeks the eternal well-being of each member of Christ's flock. Christ teaches the manner Christ teaches us the manner of dealing with a brother or sister who has sinned. If someone shows himself to be unchristian in doctrine or in life, that person is first to be repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. That means you go and knock on his door. You speak with a person who has sinned. Not to tell that person what you think, but to open your Bible and to let God speak into that person's life. You don't go in a spirit of pride, as if you're so much better. But in humility, quietly and gently admonishing and comforting, our goal should always be to restore those who have fallen. It's only if a brother or sister refuses to listen to you, or if he or she hardens him or herself in sin, that you are to take one or two witnesses with you. The purpose of the witnesses is that if the sinner continues to harden himself in sin, what he said and how he refused to repent can be, can be confirmed by these witnesses. If your warnings and admonitions fall on deaf ears, then you are to speak to your elders about it. At that point, it's their task to continue to exercise church discipline. Often our attitude, beloved, is that discipline is too hard for me to get involved in. But we are our brother's keeper. Again, it's important to note what we read from Ezekiel 33. We notice an enemy coming to attack one of the sheep of Christ's flock. We've got to sound the alarm. How can you watch your brother or sister sin and just be a silent bystander? Do you not realize that if you remain silent, God may hold you accountable for your brother's blood? Ezekiel 33 also makes clear the personal responsibility of a sinner who has been exhorted to repent. If the watchman blows the trumpet, warning of the coming enemy, whoever does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes away his life, his blood will be on his own head. Ezekiel applies this spiritually, saying, but if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So we see the manner in which Christ calls us to repentance. Beloved, how is your life with God? Are you living in close communion with Christ your Savior, following him in his ways? Or are you intent in going your own way, following your own desires? Remember the word of the Lord spoken through Ezekiel. The Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? As Christ himself once said, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Christ calls us to repent of our sins, to seek our life in him alone. This brings us to our final point. 
And it will see that through meditation on the word, Christ leads us to salvation. We've spoken about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, of how Christ uses both the preaching of the gospel and the exercise of Christian discipline to open the kingdom to believers and to shut it to unbelievers. Till now, what's not received that much attention is how we are to work with God's word, how we are to hear it, to consider it, yes, even to meditate upon it. The gospel message that's spoken is not always the same message that is received. Often, the message or part of it does not get through. For one or another reason, it's blocked. Sometimes the problem's simple. We're not listening. We're not paying attention. Our mind is focused on other things. At other times, the problem is that we do not really consider what's being said. It goes in one ear and out the other. Or we think that this is a good message for brother so-and-so, but we don't really apply it to our own life. It's important for us to think about the preaching, to consider the words of admonition spoken to us, to really meditate on how the Word of God applies to our lives. Often when people hear about meditation, they think about yoga or something like that. But meditating is something recommended to us in God's Word and in our confessions. When Joshua was commissioned as leader of God's people, the Lord said to him, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Psalm 1 tells us how a righteous man delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. Again and again in Psalm 119, we read of how the psalmist meditates on the law of God and on his wondrous works. In the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 14, we read about how God uses means to preserve us in the grace he has given us in Christ. It says that God maintains, continues, and, perfect, and perfects his work of grace in us by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation on it, and by its exhortations, threats, and promises. So what is this meditating on the word of God all about? Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying oneself to the words and the ways, to the purposes and promises of our God. The goal of meditation is to give yourself a clear vision of God, to let the truth of His Word impact on your heart and mind. You see, beloved, many of us are quite busy. The pace of our lives is often quite hectic. God is calling us to slow down, to give ear to what He says to us in His Word. He wants us to ponder on all His words and works. Ultimately, that's the only way we'll ever come to truly know Him. Beloved, it's Christ's desire to lead us to salvation in Him. He uses the Word, the Gospel of Salvation, to bring us to faith. 
It's administered to us publicly through the preaching and privately through the instruction and admonition of office bearers and fellow members. Ultimately, it's only the Holy Spirit who can work with the Word in our hearts and minds. So the question is, do you give the Spirit opportunity to work in your life? Do you truly hear the Word that comes to you? Or do you block out whatever you don't want to hear? Do you ponder? Do you meditate on the words and works of your Savior? Remember that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Through meditation on His Word, that Christ leads us to salvation in Him. This afternoon, we've considered the keys of the Kingdom of Heaven. Christ has given the Church the authority and responsibility to administer these keys. It's by the preaching of the Gospel and the exercise of Church discipline that the Kingdom of Heaven is opened and closed. It's through these means that Christ speaks to us through his word and works in us by his spirit. Christ uses the keys of the kingdom to call us into communion with him, to keep us living close to him. These keys are meant to spur us forward on the pathway of life, to call us back from the pathway to hell. God desires our life, not our death. That's why he calls us to be faithful and administering the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 103, stanzas 4, 5, and 7. Psalm 103, 4, 5, and 7. <laughs> 